Today we're going to find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. So if you would, go ahead and turn there. And as you're turning uh, to Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 30, allow me to sort of set the scene for this morning. Uh, When I was in college, I took a summer to go and be a camp counselor up at this place that not many have heard of. It's called Camp Barakal. And for those of you that have been up there, and even for those of you that have been summer staff up there, it's a whole different kind of setting being a summer staff. But aside from all of that, one thing I want to focus on is that there was one point in our training for being summer staff. It was called workshop, where Camp Barakel's very own resident nature nut decided to take us all out. If you know who he is, you know who he is. Decided to take all of the summer staff out on something called a wonder walk. I don't know if any of you know what a wonder walk is. And it was, I I still remember it clearly because as we left, said nature nut said, don't let this be your last wonder walk. And if he was here this morning, he'd be disappointed in me because that was my last wonder walk. But you know, you're in college and you're not thinking of it. And it actually is imparted to this message. But part of the wonder walk was to go out into nature, into God's creation, and to just wonder. To marvel might be another word. To look at the big and the small and just embrace and, and let it be a worshipful experience of enjoying God's creation. Now, when you go out on, the, on a hike, you may go to, you know, maybe not here, but you'll go somewhere else, maybe to a lake shore or to a mountain or somewhere beautiful, breathtaking, somewhere incredible. Well, we didn't do that on our wonder walk. It was actually really funny. One of the things that we were told to do is we were told to lay on the ground, on the dirt, like just lay down and look face down towards the dirt and just focus in on maybe just a little bitty two square inch square and just look, just observe. Some people are laying face first on the ground. It's really funny when you see it from, a, from afar. Some people are, are looking at, 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 a, at maybe a, a piece of wood or a tree. Some people are looking at a leaf. While I'm saying this, y'all are like, what is, where is he going with this? What's going on here? But we're, we're, we're stopping and we're looking at the small things. We're, not, we're quite literally not missing the tree for the forest. And I didn't understand the value of doing that then, but there's a part of me that, that gets that now, especially, you know, being an, an adult and having schedules and, and wanting to do things right and wanting to hit all the busy points in my life and trying to be efficient and trying to be successful and trying to, to, to do well and putting so much stress and anxiety on myself. And we do this, that you do this as much as I do. We put so much stress and anxiety and worry on, filling, on making sure our schedules are taken care of, on making sure we're getting to places as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible. We're focused on the big picture. 
I bring all of that up because this morning, we're going to slow down. And I hope just by saying that, your body may have just gone, that's not a bad thing. Because so many times in in the scriptures and in this passage where we're going to look at, we're so focused on the big thing, on the notorious, on the the well-known thing. Well, right now, we're going to focus on the little thing. We're going to slow down. Not just because it may feel good to our bodies and our souls, but because it's what Jesus is telling us to do in this passage and in relation to how he is going to work in our world and in our lives. So that's what I want us to do this morning, is to slow down and to to marvel, to wonder, if you will. (laughs) Didn't mean to do that, that works. To wonder at this parable and what it has to say about this kingdom of God that we've been studying And what that has to say about you and me as a part of this kingdom of God. And how it affects your life and mine. That's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to do it in Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. I'm going to read the passage to you. And then we're going to enter a time of prayer and we'll jump right in. Mark chapter 4, 30 through 34 says this. And he said... With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, and they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Please join me in prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, coming from different places, coming from different schedules, coming from different worries and anxieties. Lord, I thank you for each and every person that is here, that may be present in this room, that is present perhaps in nursery or in child care, that's hearing us, that's listening, or those down in children's church, those up in the tech booth, those listening online. Lord, thank you for each and every one of them. Thank you that in the midst of all of their schedules, all of their anxieties, you have put an impression on their hearts to say that this time to stop and to sit in your word is important. Lord, would we all marvel at your word today? Would we all marvel at you today? Would we find the truths of your scriptures comforting, convicting, beautiful? in more ways that we can understand. Be with me this morning, Lord. Use my words as you would. Lord, I pray that you would use my words. Your spirit would go before me, speak more than what I could ever say, communicate more than I could ever dream of, and encourage and convict us all where you know we need 
encouraging and convicting. Lord, I thank you for all that you do for us. Forgive us of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been continuing on in our series on the book of Mark. We've been going through the book of Mark slowly but very surely. We've been taking a lot of time over the last couple of weeks to talk through Jesus's parables. You all have heard some of these different parables before. I'm I'm imagining they're not all unfamiliar to many of you. Some of you may be interacting with them for the first time, and that's wonderful. But but we're in the middle of Jesus' parables. And for those of you that may not recall... I already have it up there. That's fine. Um, the, a parable, a good definition of a parable, is an ordinary story meant to communicate an extraordinary truth. Again, it's an ordinary story meant to communicate an extraordinary truth. It's something that uses a scenario or a situation that the, that the recipients of the parable are familiar with to communicate something that they're very much unfamiliar with. And Jesus has been doing that through a number of different parables here in chapter 4. And I was thinking of this, and I was actually talking with Pastor John the other day. I was like, man, we're taking a lot of time on these parables. And these aren't big parts of Scripture. It's, you know, three verses here, four verses there. Maybe if we're going big, it's six verses or something like that. These aren't very big parables. Maybe some guys on our preaching team are saying, y'all, you ain't giving us much to work with here. Well, we've been able to learn much from all of them. But I think a good question to ask is, why are we stopping and really hitting one of these individually? Because for maybe some, some other preacher out there, some other preaching team, they could have gotten through them all in like a message or two. But we've taken like four or five, right? Why? Why, why stop on this? I think that's a fantastic question. And one of the answers that I have for you, there could be a lot of different answers, but one of the answers that I have for you is specifically in understanding the story of Mark, each of these parables has run in conflict with what the Jews then expected the Messiah and God's kingdom to look like. They've all run in conflict with the, uh, this, is a, this is a fun little phrase, with the messianic expectation of the Jewish peoples 2,000 years ago waiting for their Messiah. And the funny thing is, in a lot of ways, that discrepancy, that confusion didn't just exist with them then. In many ways, it still exists with us today. We look back on the Jewish peoples from 2,000 years ago and say, how could they not figure that out? Yet, how many times have we been reading these parables and been challenged by one of our own expectations of what Jesus' kingdom would look like? We've paused. We've paused to challenge how we see God working. And I think that's a worthy reason to pause. We went over the parable of the sower, Um, And we talked about how God's kingdom will encounter difficulties and trials and the opportunities of growing with the different seeds and soils, but it will grow, just not maybe to the expectation that we think should happen. We talked about the parable of the lamp, how God's kingdom will be able to shine for all to see, no matter what people try to do to conceal it. God's kingdom will be noticeable, and that we can 
praise. We talked about the parable of the seed growing last week where we said we don't understand how God's kingdom is going to grow. We don't know all the ways that a seed germinates and sprouts and and becomes a plant. We just know that it's going to happen. And if we think long and hard, all of these different things can and have run in conflict to some of our understandings or our desires of what we think God should be doing. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the parable of the mustard seed, possibly one of the most well-known parables of Jesus' ministry. Now, this is different from the parable of the faith of the mustard seed. That's a completely different topic, and that's a different conversation to have. This is much smaller, the parable of the mustard seed. And so as we look at it and we read it, we're kind of struck with this uh, a familiar tone. It sounds very familiar. First off, we've been talking a lot about farming. We've been talking a lot about agriculture. For those of you that did not grow up as farmers, you're like, man, this is a lot of farming stuff. Why, why, what are we doing here? For those of you that have grown up as farmers, you've gone, I don't know what you've gone. I didn't grow up as a farmer. But you may have gone something. But we look at this parable, and it's very, especially very familiar and seems similar to the previous one, the parable of the seed growing. We're like, what's the difference? Why, why are we, again, why are we splitting these apart here, Preston? or preaching team? The reason that I think is because it's, it's almost like looking at a crystal from a different angle. It's almost like it's talking about the same story. All of these are talking about the same story, but they're another different reflection when you look at a crystal. When I was trying to find a wedding ring to propose to my now wife, and I eventually got the wedding ring, and I, I don't know if any other dudes did this when they were looking at their wives' wedding rings or whatever, but I did this. I could be weird. That's okay. I'll be alone on this one if I need to, but I would sometimes just, like, look at it. Just look at it and, like, twist my wrist and see all the different little shines of light and reflections and different elements of the beauty of it and all that it represented. It was a very emotional time in my life, but I was sitting there and looking at it, And you could just see different reflections from every angle you looked at it. These parables are all different reflections of the jewel that is the kingdom of God. And whereas the previous parable talked about how regardless of what's going to happen, regardless of whether we understand it or not, God's kingdom's going to grow, this parable forces us to look at the before and the after, the radical difference of the before and the after. And the way that it does that is by forcing our attention to that of a mustard seed. Now, I always grew up not liking this parable because I never liked mustard all that much, and I still really don't. But when you actually stop and, and look at what this is, and you can even look at a mustard seed right up here behind me. That's a mustard seed for those of you that don't know what a mustard seed looks like. And that's somebody's like thumb or finger, I don't know. They're very, very small. I have a journal that, I, that I've been keeping recently in my back pocket from um, uh, Kezi's work alongside that they gave out for like a prayer worship kind of night. And it has a little mustard seed that's like, like in a little Ziploc bag stapled on one of the things. You can look at it. I kind of have crushed it and squished it because I sit on it a lot. But it's, it's this tiny little thing. 
It's this tiny little thing. Like, just pull out your thumb and imagine just this tiny little mustard seed. Like, you could swallow it and not realize you did. You could drop it. And the second you drop it, there's almost no hope of finding it. Very small. Very inconspicuous. Very seemingly pointless to the grand scheme of things. This is some, in some ways where we find the beginning of Jesus' ministry. If I were to tell you to go and follow a cause, a small group of people, and say, look, there's this really cool cause that's going on here. There's this really cool thing. This guy is claiming to be God, and none of his followers are fully on board 100%. Are you in? No, I wouldn't be. Like, are you kidding me? Why would I go follow something if his followers are not exact, they're not like sold into to what he's doing? That was the place of Jesus' ministry at this time. Remember, they're, they're dealing with difficulties and trials and, and being told that Jesus is the son of Satan kind of thing. Like, really big stuff. Really, really big stuff. That caused any of us to get a little bit skeptical and a little bit critical of Jesus' ministry. small. It starts off small, harmless, seemingly inconspicuous. Now, I don't have a picture, and I'm realizing, I'm kicking myself because I wish I did. But for those of you that don't know what a mustard seed grows into, the answer is it depends on the mustard seed. There are some mustard seeds that would grow into kind of a a small-ish kind of tree. There's some that grow into a shrub. I think the passage here specifically says... No, it doesn't. No. It says something. It grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. That You kind of have this picture of this massive tree, this massive, powerful, strong, and, and incredible piece of nature. And, and depending on the seed, the seeds that were, the mustard seeds that were common to the ancient Near East in in, in, um, the land of of Judea at the time, they didn't grow that big of plants. They really didn't. It grew a decently sized shrub that was tall enough than other garden plants, I guess you could say, that had branches that kind of, you look it up, it kind of is this tall, sort of spindly looking thing. Not very impressive. Not seemingly very impressive. There are other mustard seeds that might grow bigger trees or smaller, smaller bushes, but the ones that were common to this place, not. You're like, really? That's it? Like, I'm, I'm thinking like a redwood, you know, like a, one of these big trees, one of those big trees that apparently has existed for like hundreds of years. I'm thinking that. Just a kind of a big shrub. That's what we got. That's our mustard seed. doesn't sound very impressive, but look at what it specifically says this mustard tree is going to do. When it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. Well, that's saying something. And it puts out these large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. You hearing that, you may not imagine much of that. You're like, okay, we got some birds coming in. They're landing. They're making a home there. It's big enough for a bird to make a nest. You know, I don't know what sized bird, but a bird, that's pretty good, right? Well, for those of you that are 
familiar with some of your uh, lesser-known Old Testament prophecies, your bells might, your, your trigger alarm in your brain might be ringing. For those of you, the rest of us normal folks that aren't, we go to the book of Ezekiel. If you'd like to follow me, you may. We're going to Ezekiel chapter 17. I don't want to ask the question, when's the last time you read Ezekiel? Because I don't want to put that kind of stress on your life here. But the book of Ezekiel, chapter 17, verse 23. This is in in a part of the book of Ezekiel, the prophecy of Ezekiel, where he's talking through parables of kind of what's kind of happening, what's about to happen. There's a lot of big things going on in Ezekiel, and it's kind of a scary book at times, but it's worth diving into. And I want you in chapter 17 to start at verse 22. And I think I'm going to go to verse 24. I'm going to read this for you here. See if you notice any commonalities or anything that's similar. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and will set it out. I will break off from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one. And I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it, here it is, will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Verse 24 there is really, really interesting. Verse 23 as well, where we, again, get this image of these birds. These birds coming and nesting and making their sort of residence and home there. Now, now, now people that are a lot smarter than you or I might go back and forth and ask, are these passages related? I think they are somewhat related. I think that they are related in the sense of the connection of these birds and this idea in verse 24 of Jesus, or of God, the Lord, of the Lord bringing low the high tree and making high the low tree, drying up the green tree and making the dry tree flourish. Let's ask it in this context. Which of these two types of trees does Jesus' ministry seem to look more like in Mark chapter 4? I find a unique and beautiful connection between what Ezekiel is talking about there and what we are seeing here in Mark chapter 4 in Jesus' parables. People are thrown off between the difference of a cedar tree and a mustard seed, and you can get that idea of being thrown off about that. That's, That's fair, that's fine, but when we look at what it's trying to communicate, it's God bringing something small bringing something lowly, bringing something that looks like it doesn't have much chance of making any difference and turning it into something beautiful. And by that connection, I think these passages 
to a degree are connected and tell us something important, that this parable isn't sitting alone in and of itself. These parables that Jesus is talking about aren't sitting alone by themselves. They've already been talked about by the prophets who were looking for this Messiah. If we needed any more evidence that the Old Testament points to Jesus' ministry, there you go. Jesus' ministry is supported by the ministry of the prophets hundreds of years before him, and that adds to its credibility and also to its beauty. It forces us to look at this parable and to look at the radical difference of this mustard seed, of its starting point and its ending point, and may say, it looks rough now. Things may not seem like there's making a difference now. But look what God can do with it. Look at what God can do with such a small, seemingly pointless thing. It's beautiful. It's encouraging for you and for me, I think. When I look at this passage, and I think also, before we even jump to that, I think it also this one runs in conflict with what the Jews were expecting at the time. The Jews were expecting a Messiah to come in power, a Messiah to come in physical, political, governmental deliverance of the Jewish peoples. They were expecting somebody to come in and throw their oppressors off of their shoulders. And Jesus here says, well, it's a little more like a mustard seed, something small but it will be something massive, something powerful, something beautiful. When I look at this passage, the main point that I want to get from it, and the main point I encourage you to get from this, is that when it comes to God's plan, think smaller as it gets larger. Let me read it again to you. When it comes to God's plan, think smaller as it gets larger. We have the luxury of knowing the starting place of Jesus' ministry, the starting place of the inauguration of the kingdom of God, and the ending place that we see many parts of the Bible talk about, and specifically in the book of Revelation. We have that luxury of seeing the before and after. And I don't know, I'm imagining also this from, from the disciple John's perspective. Who's hearing all of this? And then however many decades later receives a vision of what it's going to be. I wonder if he had this passage in his mind. Yes, God's kingdom may look small. Yes, God's kingdom may seem like it's not making that much of a difference. Yes, perhaps even my part in God's kingdom may not seem like it's making much of a difference. But look at what it's going to look like. Look at what it's going to be. Look at how amazing it's going to be. It will be there for right now. Let's look at this mustard seed. The way that this passage, I think, becomes very applicable to you and I today is that when we think of some of the big stuff 
of church history. For those of you that don't know, I'm a history person. I love my history. I, 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 the students don't like it always whenever I tell history stuff, but I love it. It's really fun to me. And I love looking back on, on church history, looking at ways that God has worked through the annals of history since the scriptures have been written. And it's really, it's, it's a crazy journey. It's a crazy experience. For those of you that may not know, read about it. It's incredible what God has done through church history and the complexity of it and some of the high points of it. When we think and imagine this mustard seed and we think of it growing, we're very quick to ask the question, you know, we, we very quick to put it in the place of it's this big tree, this, this final point, which we know will not ultimately come until the new heavens and the new earth with the return of Jesus. But when we look back on church history, we're required to ask the question, when were God's people most faithful to him? When were God's people most obedient to his word? When were God's people, when were some of those, those, those amazing, big, spiritual, world-changing moments? When were they? What did they look like? If you read a textbook, you read a history book. Those are not the same thing, by the way. Some of the answers that you may get are maybe looking at the early church working through the persecution of the Roman Empire and holding on to the faith. You may also see the quote-unquote conversion of the Roman Empire under Constantine. You may see some of the Christian uh, dominance of the European and partially African and sub-African continents of the medieval period. You may think of the Protestant Reformation and the removal of the, from the Catholic Church, Martin Luther, your, your five solas, if you will. You may think of some of the great awakenings that happened in, in the Americas, first or second. You may think of, our modern, of the modern mission movement of the 19th and 20th century that's still in many ways happening today. An incredible missionary effort covering the globe with the gospel of Jesus. Maybe some of you in your own experience might remember a, a Billy Graham era tent revival setting and may think that point, that, that's a high point. Every other of us heard one of those things and said we enjoyed it. Others heard those things and said that there was a lot of issues with that time in history. But those are all the places that the textbook will write about. Those are all the places that an author can win a prize to write about. I have yet to read a history book that talks about the little things. That talks about a village somewhere in the world with a small church of 20 people and exists for hundreds of years, constantly faithful to its community. You don't read in these big, massive books maybe a church coming around a family. Perhaps you fill in the blank, the word, the thing that came to my mind, church coming around and supporting a family with a child who has cancer. Tell me which is more powerful. You may read about the Reformation, but you're not going to read a book about a life group helping a marriage to stop from crumbling. Tell me which is more powerful. 
Rarely would you read about some of the prayer movements in the church, the ways that God's people have committed themselves to prayer. The silent prayer warriors who you, they, they come to church every single Sunday. They're, they're faithful to, the, to, to their, their body. They love the people. When they go home, there is a real spiritual prayer encounter with God so often in their home. You don't hear about that. The mustard seeds. You don't hear about those parts of the ways that God is working. And I ask you to tell me which is more important. I don't think that's an easy answer. Look at the mustard seeds. Slow down. Look at the small miracles that God can and will use to turn into this kingdom that will bring in all of the birds, all of the peoples, all of the nations under King Jesus. The next thing that this point of application, I think, naturally goes to is asking you and I, are there any sorts of practices or anything that we've been told we need to do, whether, you know, it's reading our Bibles often or whether committing ourselves to prayer or these small, seemingly small spiritual practices that you and I know that we need to do, but we have lost sight of them. Asking the question, what's the difference? Asking the question, are they really that important? There's a lot of other people that may be really gifted in in praying and finding that time to pray. Do I really need to pray that much? There may be other people that can teach the word or, or share with each other or know their Bible. Do I really need to know it that well? There's somebody else that's a lot more friendly out there that can Go talk to that family that I know is struggling or is new. Do I really need to go do that? Is it really going to make that big of a difference? I think this passage forces us to say it does. What little things, this this is a kid's sheet question, what little things do we need to get back to What little spiritual practices, those little spiritual moments do we need to get back to that we have forsaken because they seem less significant, less helpful? They don't seem like they make a difference. What is that in your life? And for the record, whenever a children's question is asked, I hope it's inferred that it's also an adult question. I hope that's something that we can assume, but I thought I should mention it just in case. What is that practice in your life? What is that thing that's going to force you to go back to the mustard seed, go back to thinking small, starting small? And if this passage tells us anything, go to God and say, Lord, it doesn't seem like this is going to make a difference, but this passage tells me that your mustard seed is going to grow into something beautiful, and I'm a part of that as a part of God's kingdom. God, show me what what difference this can make. Show me what difference these small little acts of faith can make in in my own life and in the life of the church around me, in the life of the world around me. What's it going to look like? What difference does it make? Why am I needing to do this? Pray that prayer to God. 
Ask him to open up your eyes to what he is currently doing through the small acts of faith that his church is committing itself to every single day. One of my prayers recently has been asking, God, would you just show me how you're working? Have you ever asked that prayer before? God, show me how you're working. If we pray that, at least in my experience, he's answered that with, here you go. Here's how I'm working. And it's amazing. It's breathtaking. It's beautiful. And it's God's kingdom growing. These parables have been meant to challenge our expectations of what we think God's kingdom is going to look like. As we know, it will win. God's kingdom will grow. It's just hard for us to see it sometimes. Many times we focus on the big picture stuff. We lose sight of the small things, the the faithful presence things that God has told us to do every single day. We may feel insignificant. We may not feel like we're that big of a deal. We may not feel like we make that much of a difference. But that is to assume the smallness of God, not just you and me. When we say God can work through my prayers, that's a big ask, God. I can't wait to see what you do with it. When we say me reading my Bible consistently isn't really going to help me all that much, that's a big ask, God. I can't wait to see when that comes up in my life. Start small. Take a breath. See what God will do with this mustard seed that he has given us. And we get to marvel and worship as that mustard seed will grow into the most beautiful thing that we will ever experience. All with Jesus' return with him as king. When it comes to God's plan, think smaller as it gets larger.